Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, welcome aboard. And boy, it's been a crazy last few days in NBA free agency. And it's about time that I talk about what happened with the Rockets. And of course, the best guy to have on Lockdown Rockets host, Ben DuBose. And Ben, I feel like the Rockets sort of dodged a bullet with the Jimmy Butler deal. I'm guessing you don't feel the same way about this, but I kind of feel like the same as I did when uh, the Chris Bosh and Chandler Parsons thing didn't happen, except a few months later when we knew what what had happened to those two guys. But I, I just... I, I just uh, wasn't a big fan of, of of getting Jimmy Butler at the cost that it would have been for the Rockets. I think that's a defensible take. I think the real truth of it is that we'll never know who or if they had as their Capella replacement should they do that. I mean, I'm right there with you. I've seen your tweets about it. I can't imagine that it would have been a good deal to give up both Gordon and Capella without any replacement at the five at all. The only way it made sense to me was if they kind of had an understanding of either a free agent or a trade, whatever it may be, this is who we're going to get at the five and plug in. Maybe it would have been Kavon Looney. They met with him night one. I don't know. But if you didn't have a replacement at the five, and to this point they haven't signed one, then yeah, it definitely would have made you worse. And even if you did, it wouldn't have definitively made you better. It's just I can see the upside with Butler to where they feel like they want to go all in. But, yeah, if they didn't have a drop-in five replacement, then, yeah, they might have very well dodged a bullet. The hardest thing that I was having with the with the whole deal was Jimmy Butler versus Eric Gordon, and, and they're about the same age. They, they both have, uh, you know, some mileage on them. They both have injury concerns. But Eric Gordon is a chemistry you know, good guy, while Jimmy Butler scares me to death. It, it scares me with the contract that you were giving him. And, you know, Jimmy Butler is known as uh, one of the better defenders in the NBA, but we saw what Eric Gordon could do. And he's become quietly one of the best defenders. He doesn't get the same credit. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is a bigger guy. So, you know, that is an advantage. But one of the reasons that that was a big deal for you is because you were worried about trying to guard guys like Kevin Durant uh, with, with the Golden State Warriors. So to me, they were close to a wash. And then you're also losing uh, Clint Capella. And yeah, you could have gotten a replacement, but I just think the Rockets fans uh, started to really undervalue Clint Capella because of a bad series against the best defender in the NBA, one of the best defenders that we've seen ever. Yeah, and I went back and looked at the numbers again on Capella. What people forget, if you want to mount a case for optimism with Clint, 2018 was a ton better. What happened to him in the 29 postseason, I think some of it had to do with the respiratory issue he had in round one against Utah, which kind of artificially deflated his numbers in that series. And then with the Warriors, maybe that got him off to a slow start. I'm not sure, but a year ago, while it wasn't perfect, we did in 2018 see Capella against that same team play fairly well. So it's not a case of, well, when the lights are bright, then he's not going to play well. That's recency bias. We have seen, you just go back a year ago, and he was an impact player in the playoffs. So that's the case for optimism. And then as far as Gordon versus Butler, I agree that Gordon, Gordon, excuse me, from a chemistry perspective, tried to morph their names together there. Gordon is a more seamless fit. 
However, what you do worry about a little bit with Eric is the contract up after this season. So next on the agenda, the remainder of the offseason, can you hammer out an extension with Eric? If you can, then even though he's a little bit smaller, you do know that he's going to fit well. He's going to accept that role. And the other interesting thing, Robert, is that now all of a sudden we'll see what they do the remainder of the offseason. But now that they brought Daniel House back, which I did not really expect, You've already heard some talk from Kelly Eco at The Athletic that perhaps they'll go back to what they did in December and January when you had House starting at the three and you had Gordon off the bench. Well, technically that time, I, yeah, Chris Paul was out, so Gordon was starting at the two. But the idea would be getting longer and more of a rebounding presence, more similar to Trevor Ariza at the three with Daniel House. Now, maybe there's someone else you can bring in the remainder of the offseason. You know I'm a big Andre Iguodala fan if they can figure that out. But either way, I think if you can get Gordon, his weakness at the three, he's undersized, he's not much of a rebounder, that hurts them defensively. Well, all of a sudden, if you can have Gordon back in the sixth-man role and then you can start with either House or someone else at an appropriate length at the three, then that might be a really good way that you can uh, optimize Gordon even uh, better than you did down the stretch of this season. People are kind of wondering, well, how do the Rockets get better? And usually when when you're – playing in the NBA playoffs and you're trying to compete for a championship. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And, and, and maybe Daniel house makes the step forward, not necessarily in the regular season, but in the playoffs, I'm, I'm going to just throw out the regular season because you know, it's, it's a matter of can the Rockets be a better playoff team, but Ben, it, it honestly comes down to one thing. There's only one way the Rockets get better in the playoffs. And I think it's going to be, whether D'Antoni and James Harden get on the same page to say, okay, we've got to do things differently. We can't play this way both in the regular season and the playoffs. So let's figure out how to work on that in the regular season and maybe, you know, where it's not all James Harden going one-on-five, which, you know, we've seen fail time and time and time again. And and that is that's their way out because you're not necessarily going to add anybody at this point. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot left unless Kawhi Leonard all of a sudden decides he's going to take a right turn towards the Rockets. There's not a whole lot left. As you and I are talking, it's 5:23 on Wednesday afternoon, and and people are still waiting for the Kawhi decision. But how how do the Rockets get better, Ben? Yeah. So to finish up what we were saying about House, I think the big thing that can get him in a better spot than he was in the playoffs is just continuity. People make it out to be that, you know, he didn't play well in the playoffs and eventually slipped out of the rotation. Well, the real issue, he had flashes, but he never really got all the way back after two months off. And they finally kind of closed the loop on that contract standoff, bringing him back in mid-March. He was never quite the same guy. It's tough to adjust on the fly. He was at his best when he was in rhythm from December and January. And so you hope if you insert him, give him a full training camp, everything else, you'll have that version as opposed to the guy who the last month of the regular season in the playoffs was kind of trying to feel his way back with a team that was already going full throttle at the time. As far as the style of offense and what they need to do, I honestly think it's less about James Harden and it's more about Chris Paul. To me, What you need to do, if you're Mike D'Antoni, you've got to figure out the way to best optimize Chris Paul moving forward, because certainly you do need a change of pace, someone other than James Harden, especially in those minutes that he's out of the game, but also at times just to give defenses a different look down the stretch. The real issue, as I saw it, Robert, 
they played the same style as they did in 2018, but they didn't have anywhere near the same version of Chris Paul. His points per possession in isolation, I think, fell off like 0.4, which is just a dramatic, basically from being one of the league's best to below average. And a lot of it has to do with the fact he's 33 years old. So it's not that he's a bad player all of a sudden, but he doesn't have the same skill set to where you can play that slow it down, grind it out style that they did in 2018. I think to optimize for Chris, you may need to play a little bit faster. We've seen at times they do it with the second unit when Chris is leading that. But to me, it's less of a question about Harden, although certainly Harden can do things to help them along. And it's more a question of Chris, because in that Warrior series, other than game six, and of course that was when Curry caught fire, had the historic second half and clay kept them going before that other than that game six they did not get what they needed to out of chris paul and it's a story really down the stretch of this year the first round against utah he's just not the same guy physically it doesn't mean that he's not going to be a contributor but you're going to have to do it in a different way rather than the formula from 2018 and what i saw this past year that mike d'antoni needs to get better at the formula from 2018 does not have to be the only way to do things the other thing is james harden has to be better. He's got to figure it out in the big situations and people can throw numbers at me. I just know from what I saw and you know, it's, it's, I've seen it over and over again, year in and year out. He's got to be better in the big game sixes and the big game sevens where he's minus 70 in the last three years in those situations. Uh, so, you know, with him on the court, I should say uh, with the Rockets and, and that's, to me, what it's going to come down to, that's a way to get better. You know, other than that, and, and maybe Daniel House getting better, you know, that's the answer of how, how they do it because the answer is not Chris Paul getting better because it's not likely to happen. Mother Nature doesn't uh, take a U-turn at, 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 at any point. And I also think perhaps some of these changes you're talking about stylistically, usage, some of it will come with the league suddenly feeling a lot more open now that the Warriors aren't the Warriors anymore. I think for D'Antoni, I think for James Harden, I think because the bar was so high, they had in their minds that there's just only one way that you can do it. And of course, 2018, they came so damn close, probably a hamstring away from beating those guys. And then, of course, look, that's why I throw out some of the Game 6 and Game 7 numbers from a year ago. You didn't have Chris Paul and everything changed after that point. But as far as a Harden, D'Antoni, I think because the bar was so high, because the Warriors were so ungodly talented, they basically viewed it as, look, this is the only way we can win. And they tried to kind of shoehorn everything into one formula. Whereas if there's one really good thing for the Rockets about the Warriors breakup of sorts, besides just the obvious that, you know, the number one seed in the West, all these things are wide open. It's that you don't have to play a certain way. From a talent perspective, the Rockets should be good enough. So don't worry so much about the opponent, about the exact matchup. Just go out there and play basketball and read and react on the fly. And I think a lot of these problems you're talking about, Robert, they would get fixed if they're less concerned about the opponent and more just focused on what makes sense at a given moment in the game. And Hopefully, now that you don't have that 64,000-pound gorilla, whatever you want to – I'm mixing metaphors here. But the the point is the Warriors aren't the Warriors anymore, and that's how you can really change your approach if you're the Rockets. The gorilla isn't the Warriors anymore, but 
I'm getting this feeling more and more. And like I said, it, it, nothing's happened yet. But I mean, if Kawhi was going to pick the Raptors, you figured it would happen right now. I, I'm going to try to get into the mind of Kawhi Leonard, which is it, it's a very dark and, and forbidden place to mo- for most of us, Ben. But, you know, I feel like if he would have picked the Warriors, he would have done it by now. It seems like that would have happened. The Clippers, uh, because he waited, there's not a whole lot of, of a surrounding cast. Uh, they they might have been able to make some more moves without him. It, it's feeling more and more like the Lakers. If it's the Lakers, then, you know, Ben, we're back where we started. If it's not the Lakers, then, frankly, this is as wide open as we've ever seen in the history of the NBA. There might be 10 or 12 different teams that have a legitimate chance of saying, I can be the NBA champion this year. So I'll push back. I could be wrong, but I like the fact that we haven't heard immediate word of the Lakers today. With all the smoke earlier in the week, if you had asked me two days ago, I was 80-20 that he was going to pick the Lakers. Now this afternoon, we heard Jalen Rose at ESPN said he was 99% sure that Kawhi would pick Toronto. I wouldn't go there, but I think if it was as much of a slam dunk Kawhi to the Lakers as people had thought, then either A, he makes the decision in L.A. and it's done, or B, we hear relatively quickly, and we know from uh, Toronto news coverage, uh, Kawhi got to his meeting several hours ago as we're recording this at about 5.30 on Wednesday. So I won't say that I'm convinced he's staying with the Raptors, but I do think there's a chance. Because even if you want to say, well, he's going to go there to tell them face-to-face and say thank you, then I don't think he needs to go through hours. The fact that it's taken this long gives me some hope that he's at least torn. With all that said, are the Lakers a viable option? Yes. But even if he does pick the Lakers, I don't think it's the same as the Warriors. I really don't. I think they'd be the betting favorite, absolutely. But I think, you know, Kawhi and LeBron, Kawhi's got a chronic quad. It took an insanely deep Toronto team that let him sit out nearly 25 games this year just to get him through the playoffs. The Lakers basically have the three stars, Kyle Kuzma, and a bunch of minimums and aging minimums at that if you look at you know, they've signed Jared Dudley. They've shown interest in Kyle Korver, Andre Iguodala. LeBron's going to be 35 years old next year. He's in, I think, year 17. He's been playing since 2003. AD has not been a marvel of health. And then when you look at the Warriors, besides just the fact that they had these, you know, elite four players in terms of Steph, Durant, Clay, and Draymond, you had Iguodala, you had Sean Livingston, you had Kevon Looney, you had David West. You didn't really have just nothing but minimums. You had so many guys that you had developed internally, whereas the Lakers, there's some real questions, and there's some real questions after a top three, Kawhi, LeBron, and AD, all of which have injury concerns, as opposed to the Warriors three years ago. Steph, KD, Clay, Draymond, all those guys are in their 20s, and none of them had any red flags from a medical perspective. So I'm not saying that the Lakers wouldn't be favorites. They would. I just wouldn't say that you're right back at square one. The Lakers would be daunting and you know, maybe they just say, let's just get to the playoffs however we can and then turn those guys loose. But while good, I wouldn't put them in uh warrior's tier just yet, even if they do pull off Kawhi. Yeah, I just, I can't agree, disagree with you more because, you know, the Lakers would have the best big three and, and you just, you know, we can assume health or not health. It, it's always going to be about that for every single team, even Golden State, as we saw this past season. So, you know, if you assume a health, which, you know, you, you're just going to go ahead and do that, 
Uh, this is the best big three that we've ever seen. I mean, I look at what my, the Miami Heat team was when those guys got together. But yeah, LeBron's a little bit worse than the LeBron from there. But Anthony Davis is light years better than Chris Bosh, with all due respect to him. And Kawhi Leonard is way better than a, a Dwayne Wade. And we've seen LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard carry their teams practically by themselves to the NBA Finals. And now they're going to be joining with each other. And Anthony Davis has carried teams to 40 and 50 wins with really no help at all. Those three being together, you know, I, I just say they're, they are an overwhelming favorite. Plus, you know, everybody's saying, well, what are they going to have around him? We can see what's left. There's not a whole lot left, obviously. But, you know, we have the buyout season and everybody's going to going to you know, they're all going to want to play with the Lakers when that happens. And we saw what the Rockets were able to pick up in the buyout season. But I don't even know. You could put me and you out there, Ben. And I would say they're the favorite. The My, my only thing, the only thing that I'm trying to figure out is are the Lakers the favorite uh, without Kawhi Leonard? And and I still, no. would, I, I still would lean towards them. No, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, people underestimate, number one, the mileage effect on LeBron, aside from the injuries. And I... I don't agree with the characterization that we can't look at guys as though a certain player has a greater propensity for injuries. It's kind of like the Rockets. If you're trying to project their record over 82 games, you'd be a fool to act like, well, Chris Paul, what if he stays healthy for 82? Because he's not. And so you look at LeBron at age 35 and Kawhi with the chronic quad and AD with his myriad of injuries – I don't think that you can what if. It just doesn't seem uh, realistic to me. And then if you don't get Kawhi, I mean, they'd be up there. But the Lakers never really took off with LeBron a year ago at, you know, at most. They were on about a 45-win clip. And then, you know, of course, they fell to 37. I buy that Anthony Davis would push them into the 50s. I don't know if I'd put them into the upper 50s to near 60 when just from Anthony Davis. And keep in mind that a lot of the guys who they had last year, you know, you can't dismiss the likes of Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and uh, who else am I forgetting they, that they traded to New Orleans and that deal for AD. One final point on Anthony Davis. If he's won 50 games in his career, I'm not sure. You mentioned 40 or 50. I think he might have done it once at the most. They have not won that much in New Orleans, even though he has had decent talent. And I think some of it's not his fault, although he's had a few injuries. I think some of it's tougher to build around a big man in today's NBA. But, you know, you look at Drew Holiday. You look at DeMarcus Cousins pre-Achilles injury. You look at Nikola Miritich. They've put decent teams together, and they've never gotten better than, like, mid to upper 40s. And more often than not, they've been below 500. I'm not saying that, you know, the Pelicans are uh, the Warriors by any stretch in terms of their talent, but they also haven't been barren either. So I just haven't really seen if it's just LeBron and AD – I don't see where you would go all of a sudden from, you know, the pace the Lakers were on last year, subtract two or three rotation players, add AD, and then all of a sudden get upper 50s to 60. Now, if they add Kawhi, certainly I could see that. But again, it comes back to that whole uh, health conundrum, and we'll see how that plays out. LeBron was injured, though, for a big portion of, I mean, it basically didn't play the, the back half of the season, really, right? Well, uh, he came back after about six weeks from the groin, and then... They shut him down early, not because of that, just because they're at the playoffs. At that point, what's the point? Try and maximize your odds of getting a high draft pick, which they did, and that ended up uh, getting them AD. But even before then, you look at the pace, and I know you can say adjustments 
and all that stuff. But there was just never a sign that I saw that that team was all that close to contention. And while AD is going to make them better, I don't deny that. I would just hesitate to go all the way from, you know, a team that was the back half of the playoff picture, just, you know, a solid team to all of a sudden they add AD, subtract some depth, and then all of a sudden they jump everybody. I think a more realistic, and especially with LeBron, you know, whether they add Kawhi or not, if they do add Kawhi, it's going to be the same thing. Everything for the Lakers is going to be trying to optimize for the playoffs. Certainly with a 35-year-old LeBron and, you know, LeBron, considering he's been to the finals nine times, he may as well be 39 or 40, to be completely honest, in terms of, now I know he's Superman, but in terms of the mileage that's on that body. So with LeBron and also Kawhi with that quad, in my opinion, everything that they do during the regular season is going to be about the playoffs. How do we get fully healthy? So I guess a better way to frame it would be that's one reason why I would not buy them as the top of the West, because I think we're talking top of the West being, you know, just the standings. And I don't think they're going to go all out because it'd be too dangerous for them to do that, given the ages, the injury risk, uh, those types of things. I think they'll play it as best they can, make sure they get in the playoffs somewhere in the low 50s. Unless there's catastrophic injuries, they should do that. And then we'll see what the chemistry looks like once April May and June get here. And of course, we'll see what the other rosters look like by then because there'll be a whole season and a trade deadline for teams like, you know, the Rockets, the Jazz and anybody else at the top of the West to try and make their own changes. All right. Say Kawhi doesn't land with the Lakers. Who Who is your favorite in the West? And, you know, I, I would say there's a great argument right now for Utah having leaped the Rockets because I love their moves with getting Conley and Bogdanovich. And the big problem they had against the Rockets is they just didn't have Anybody that could score, their perimeter guys were, were not that good. And you add two guys that can score to, to what they had defensively, and they were giving the Rockets all sorts of issues defensively. And they once they figured it out, you know, after the first couple of games, and, and there's not going to be that learning curve uh, the next time they face the Rockets in the playoffs, because I think they sort of figured out what they were doing beyond that. But then you you get Conley and Bogdanovich. That's, that's a great team right there that's going to be really difficult to beat. So So who is your favorite in the West? As of July 3rd, probably Utah. I'm not quite as high on them as a lot of folks because, yeah, you know, they they improved their weaknesses, which were especially on display uh, in the playoffs. But they also took away a big part of their strength. But you look at Rubio, if you watch him one on one, everybody mocks him because of the unique way they guard Harden. But he was fantastic. Uh, his one on one defense was really good. Favors and Crowder. I mean, you're taking away a lot of toughness with those three, a lot of the grit that kind of let them hang around to where they were a couple of jump shots away if they had shot better. So it's something where I, I would say they address their weakness, but until we see it play, it's a kind of a situation where I think some people, they look at it as, oh, you know, you're upgrading the weakness, but then you don't want to take the strength for granted. I still think that the Rockets, as long as they make one more addition I, I would have the Rockets as the favorite if the Lakers don't have Kawhi and if the Rockets get one more. And it could be via Emily. It can be via, you know, a Shumpert sign and trade. I've been talking about those possibilities on my podcast the last few episodes. The Rockets need one more piece from a depth perspective, from a defensive perspective, those angles. But if they get it, I think I would still say the Rockets because the thing is, the Rockets and the Jazz, we have seen this two consecutive postseasons now, four games to one. That's eight out of ten. It's tough to 
have me give the Jazz, a team that's been worse than the Rockets in the regular season and demonstratively worse in the postseason. And then if the Rockets have a pretty similar team to what they've had these past two years, then to just jump the Jazz or or perhaps the Jazz jump the Rockets, excuse me, based on that. I would still put the Rockets as long as they make one more addition and they need to just as the rest of the West is getting better. The onus is on Daryl Morey to do the same. But if the Rockets bring in at least one more rotation player, I think I'd put them ahead of the Jazz and I'd have them right up there. I'd say the Jazz, the Nuggets and the Rockets would be my uh, top three at this moment with the Lakers kind of a tier behind. This is assuming they don't get Kawhi. Uh, If they do get Kawhi, then certainly jump the Lakers to the top of that list. But um, yeah, if they don't get Kawhi, I'd go Rockets, Jazz and Nuggets, I think. And then the Lakers somewhere in the four five range. And they'll primarily be focusing on making sure they're healthy and optimized with LeBron for the playoffs. Give me a guy or two that the, the Rockets can add because it, it's obvious they need some size. They, they need somebody to back up Capella and, and P.J. Tucker uh, at the 4-5. Where do they go at this point? I know this name will make a lot of people laugh, and this is just for the minimum. But I think JaVale McGee would be a really good fit. He's someone they met with night one. He's got a lot of athleticism. He's a good rim runner. He's got a true seven-foot frame. As a backup, he's fine. I think you can get at the minimum. You've seen the last couple of days really quality contributors. You know, Willie Cauley-Stein, Jeff Green, that are going for the minimum, maybe slightly above. A lot of teams spent their money too quickly, and I think the Rockets are just waiting for this Kawhi domino to fall. And then when it does, you're going to have a lot of free agents signed because right now a lot of free agents are hoping that you know, at least one of the two L.A. teams and maybe both is going to strike out. And at that point, there's going to be a ton of money on the market for these free agents to get snapped up. And so the ones that don't at that point, they'll be more willing to sign with the Rockets. Marcus Morris. I would like him. I think that's a good fit, although I'm afraid that, you know, he is a clutch client. And so to me, with Morris being a clutch client, team Rich Paul, if the Lakers miss on Kawhi, I would bet a lot of money on Marcus to the Lakers for a lot more money than the Rockets can bid. Robert, the one that I'm looking at, and I know I said it earlier in the podcast, I'm going to say it again because I think it's such a perfect fit, sign and trade Iman Shumpert with a draft pick to the Memphis Grizzlies for Andre Iguodala. You know he shoots well in Toyota Center. Now we'll see if he does it for the Rockets in uniform, but the Grizzlies have no interest in keeping him, and if they could get a draft pick rather than buy him out, of course that's better for their long-term future. That, to me, is the move. It can let them play smaller. He can play you know, a small ball four, which we've seen him do at times with Golden State. We saw in the playoffs this past year, he still has a lot in the tank, in my opinion. His contract's expiring, so there's no long-term commitment. You can trade it again during the season if something better comes along. An Iguodala trade just makes so much sense to me, Robert. That's what I'm kind of keeping an eye on as we get a little further into free agency, and we'll see what the Grizzlies say after formally meeting with Iguodala in the coming days. What about the Lakers? They're, they, they, he wouldn't go there? Well, I think he'd go there if you buy him out. And that's the other benefit, Robert. I think he'd go to the Lakers if he's bought out. And that's another reason why if you're the Rockets and you trade for him, not only are you helping your team, but you're taking away potentially a key contributor to perhaps your biggest competition. So that's another benefit. Yeah, I think if he was bought out, uh, of course, he's from California. LA is a lot closer to the Bay Area than Houston is. And so many teams, so many players have interest in that potential Lakers super team. I think that's another reason why you look at trading for Iguodala. Certainly, well, the Warriors, aside from the fact they wouldn't have dealt with the Rockets, the Warriors just needed to dump him for cap space. They needed to get beneath the uh, hard cap line because they got D'Angelo Russell. But 
yeah, I could see that. To me, that's the move that just makes so much sense. Of course, it would require some cooperation in the form of Iman Shumpert. But to me, Robert, that's what jumps out at me looking at the, the landscape. The Rockets trading for Andre Iguodala. It would just make so much sense. Boogie Cousins for part of the trade exception that's left or the minimum, yes or no? Yes, but I don't think he'd take it. I think if Boogie's going to sign for that little, he'll go somewhere that would give him a more clear path to minutes than the Rockets could behind Clint Capella. I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat if Boogie would take it. I think it's worth the risk. And if for some reason it doesn't work out, you can you know, just pivot out of it after 10 games, the same way you did with Carmelo Anthony a season ago. It's just I find that unlikely because I think for Boogie, if he's going to sign that cheap, he'll want a more clear pathway to playing you know, at least 20, 25 minutes a game. Boy, this has been one hell of a last few days. I really thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy over at Locked On Rockets, but uh, I appreciate it. And and this is this is fun. Absolutely. This is the fun time of year if you're an NBA fan. Well, aside from the actual games. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk to you later, Ben. Thanks so much. Sounds good. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>